Hello and welcome to Day 3 Live, the live broadcast of Sunday morning service at Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. You can learn more about our ministry at day3church.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash d3church. We're glad you chose to listen today. We believe that God is waiting to speak to you. If you have any questions about today's message, please contact us. We're here to help. Now sit back and join us for the next few minutes. It's Day 3 Live, and it starts right now. Good morning. Take your Bible and uh, join me in Philippians, if you would. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to walk through verse 1 through 11 uh, this morning. Uh, The topic... Uh, that we're dealing with is still serving. We've been in this series entitled uh, Seriously Serving for uh, several weeks now. Matter of fact, today's part nine uh, of that series. And today we're going to talk about taking his form, taking the form of Christ. And you'll see that clearly uh, spelled out for us, I think, in Philippians chapter two, about how you and I need to have the, the mind of Christ, the love of Christ lead into us having uh, unity and and serving Christ even sacrificially as uh, he sacrificially served us. Uh, Some of the background to uh, Philippians is that at the time Paul is is writing this, you'll notice when I read through the verses that uh, he said, if you would complete my joy. Uh, So the, the problem was uh, the Roman church was having a little bit of struggles at the time uh, that he's writing this to the Philippian church, but also there's an issue inside the Philippian church, and uh, someone had brought news of that to him. Uh, Ephroditus had brought news of that to Paul, and he was saddened by the news that there was some type of conflict uh, taking place in, in the church at Philippi. So he uses that as an opportunity to challenge the believers at Philippi to be more unified, to have the mind of Christ, to uh, have the love of Christ active in their lives, and to uh, be serving others uh, like Christ. Uh, guys, there's some things you just you know, can't make up. You know, when I tell you this, you're going to think, well, surely that, that's not the case. Well, two members in the church of Philippi, and we're told about this in Philippians chapter 4, we won't turn and read there, but there are two ladies in the church that were at odds with each other. Now, Paul doesn't tell us what they were at odds over, so we don't really know why they were at odds. But one of the ladies' names was uh, Udia. Her name means fragrance. So think about that. Her name is fragrance. The other lady that were having friction with with each other uh, was Sendichi. And Sendichi, her name means fortunate. Now, you, you can't make that up. Two people in the church whose name meant fragrance and fortunate were at odds with each other. Now, like I said, we don't know why. Maybe one thought, well, I'm so fortunate, I ought to have my way. Maybe one thought, I'm so fragrant, I ought to get my way in the church. Maybe you know, maybe the uh, two wanted to have uh, uh, the same position in the church or whatever the case might have been, but they were having some friction. And, and Paul uses that as an opportunity in these verses to call them more toward unity, to ask them to be uh, one in their mind, one in their purpose, and to take on the form of a servant that Christ had taken on upon himself. Uh, So kind of my suggestion for us is is this. If we want to serve more seriously, 
if we want to be more effective in our serving, if we will take on the form of Christ, does that not make sense? <laughs> that if we would be more like Jesus, we'd serve better? If we take on the mind of Christ, the love of Christ, if we take on more of his form, we would be better servants. So I want you to notice four ways this morning we can better take on the form of Christ. And as a result of that, be better servants. Here's the first one. Taking the form of Christ through unity. You and I need to take the form of Christ through unity. Uh, God wants us to be unified, not to be having division and frictions like these two ladies were. In verse 1, it appears to me he's talking about some motivations for unity, motivations for unity. Verse 1 says, So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Now, now the word if there can also be translated since. So in, in Paul's mind, the things that he's saying are true or should be true for believers. So let's look back at it like that just for a moment. He says, is, is there any encouragement in Christ? By the way, the phrase in Christ means you are in Christ once and forever. Isn't that some good news? The moment you trust Christ as Savior, you are in him in a fixed position, in a fixed standing forever. So he, he's saying, is there any encouragement in Christ? Well, my goodness, if you know you're in Christ, that alone ought to encourage you, shouldn't it? That ought to be tremendous encouragement to know that you are in Christ. So what he's saying to these Philippian believers is, is this, if you have any encouragement in Christ, he, he says, is there any comfort from love? And the type of love he's talking about there is not the kind of worldly love we might get in our mind. He's talking about, is there any comfort from the type of love that Christ has for us? And once again, all of us that know Christ as our Savior would say, yes, there's a huge amount of comfort, amen, from having the love of Christ, from experiencing the love of Christ. He says, is there any participation in the Spirit? So as believers, yes, we have participation with the Holy Spirit because He indwells us as believers, but that also helps us to have participation in the Spirit of God together where we can have this type of unity that God calls us to instead of having friction. He says, is there any affection or any sympathy? So the answer he's anticipating is, is yes to all those things. So we ought to be motivated to have unity because we know we're in Christ. But not only do we need to have motivation for unity, we need to have attitudes that lead to actions of unity. Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Now, guys, when he says, complete my joy by having the same mind, he, he's not necessarily saying that all of us in everything will think the same way. <laughs> if that were the case, we would never have unity because you've got things like politics and hobbies and everything like that, that all of us maybe have different backgrounds in. So we're, we're not going to have the type of unity God calls us to by having the same mind like that. By the, but here's what he means. We all can have the mind of Christ. And through having the mind of Christ, that helps us to have the unity, have the attitude that leads to actions of, of unity in our lives. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the mind of Christ, by having the same love. Once again, it's talking about the love of Christ. And as we have the same mind and the same love, the love of Christ and the mind of Christ active in our lives, that will help us be a full accord and help us be of one mind. 
More or less, he's saying this. As believers, even though we're a large group of people, as believers in a church, we can still have unity if we're focused on the mind of Christ and the love of Christ and the purpose of Christ. Having the same mind gives us this. It gives us a common purpose. It gives us the purpose of the gospel, the purpose of Christ for us to focus upon. That's why it's so important for us to have the mind of Christ, because that's an attitude that can lead to us having actions of, of unity toward each other. Instead of worrying about not getting my way and you not getting your way, and instead of having things like conflict, where Paul writes here, he says, complete my joy. He, he, he's saying, hey, it'll just make me happier if I don't hear you're having conflict with each other. It'll help me to have more joy in my life if you're not having conflict with each other. Conflict's difficult sometimes, isn't it? But we, a lot of times we can't avoid it. I mean, sometimes even in the church. But, but I want to give you maybe a couple of things Paul's hinting at. The secret of joy, since Paul brought up joy, the secret of joy, in spite of your circumstances, it is to have a single mind, the mind of Christ. Now, now, here's how that works out. All this past year where we've been worried about so much other stuff, I mean, COVID-19, everything else, all this past year, you could have had more joy this past year if you'd been focusing upon having the mind of Christ and the purpose of Christ instead of worrying about your circumstances. Now, that also works out like this. I got, I, I got some news for you you probably don't know anything about, but people can be difficult sometimes. But when, when people are being difficult, think about it like this, guys. You can have joy in spite of who people are and the way they're acting if up front you're having a submissive mind. That's the kind of mind Jesus had. We'll talk about it more fully in a minute. Jesus had a submissive mind. He was willing to submit to the will of the Father. He's willing to come into this world and die on the cross for our sins. So he had a submissive mind. So here's what I'm saying. If up front you and I would take the mindset of having a submissive mind, it doesn't matter what someone else does or what they say to me. Because I've already predetermined I'm going to be submissive like Christ was submissive. Instead of me being upset because of the way you treated me. Instead of me worrying about getting my way or you worrying about getting your way, we've just decided up front we're going to have a submissive mind. Now, in order to take the form of Christ through unity, there's something else that's really going to have to happen. We also need to take the form of Christ through humility, through humility. Because if you're not practicing humility, you're not going to have much unity. In order to have unity, you have to have some humility in your life to where you're willing to do things like we're told here by the Apostle Paul. First of all, humility is an attitude of putting others first. Look at verse 3. Humility is an attitude of putting in others first. In verse 3, it says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. The phrase in the Greek, do nothing, also means not to think this way. He's saying don't do one thing at all, though the way it's written in the Greek. Don't think in a way at all that would lead to contention, that would lead to empty glory and vain glory and you want in your way. Don't think in a way or act in a way that leads to robbery or conceit or factions taking place between believers. But instead, he says, in humility, and that means have the humility of mind, in humility, 
count others more significant than yourself. And when he says count others, he, he's saying we're to lead ourselves or command the way we think or deem the way we think that we're going to hold other people as more important than ourselves, more significant than ourselves. Instead of having attitudes that lead to disunity, we're to practice humility as Christ practiced humility. We're, we're to lead in ways that put others first. We're to have the mindset that put others first. We're to deem in our minds that, that others are more significant than we are, and, and we're going to actually hold them up above ourselves. Now, now let me explain something. He's, he's not saying here that you're to demean or devalue yourself. Some people will take it like that, and they'll think, well, and a lot of people are bad to do that anyway. I, I, you know, I'm like that sometimes. You, you ever are bad to put yourself down and demean yourself and devalue yourself? That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is really this. Don't demean others or put others down. Don't devalue others. The, the attitude we're supposed to have is that they are important also. They have value also. And if we'll have that type of attitude, that will guard against selfish motivations that create conflict if we'll just have a predetermined mindset that I've already made a decision that it's okay for you to be first. If it's okay for you to be first, I don't have to be upset when I don't get my way when I'm not first. If you have a predetermined mindset, it's okay for me to be first. I'm not. You don't have to get upset when you don't get your way. If we believers would have the mind of Christ, if we'd have a predetermined mindset that we're not going to do anything or think anything that causes robbery or conceit, but instead in humility, we're, we're going to think of others more than we think of ourselves. That's the example of Christ. This whole passage of Scripture is using Christ as an example. Jesus so thought of us that he left all the perfections of heaven to come into this stinking world. He left all the comforts of heaven, all the glories of heaven that come into this world in the flesh. Jesus on earth constantly over and over again displayed the attitude of putting others first. So much so that he put us first by going to the cross and dying on the cross for our sins. Jesus displayed humility of attitude to put others first, especially he was doing this. He said, I'm going to put the Father's will first. And guys, we need to have that kind of humility in our lives. Humility is not only an attitude. Humility also is this. Humility takes the action of putting others first. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look not to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Now, notice the but also. He's not telling you don't have any interest for your own welfare, for your own life whatsoever. But he is saying this. We need to be sure that we look to the interest of others. The word that he uses for look means to take aim. Now, if you if you ever fired, how many fired a gun here, here before and everything? I, I hope I don't upset anyone by me asking that question. And also, if you fired a gun before, here's what all of us hope you do. Before you pull the trigger, we hope you take aim <laughs> and you are intentionally shooting what you're supposed to shoot. You don't just discriminately pull out a gun and just start shooting it here, this way, and everywhere. You, you intentionally try to expeditiously take aim so you can hit your target. Now, now, apply that to what we're talking about. That means you and I need to take aim at meeting the interest of others. We need to take aim 
intentionally at looking at the interests of others. And guys, if you are really looking to the interests of others, you're not just going to say, well, look there, they've got a need. You're going to want to do something about it. If you are putting that person before yourself and you are, are taking aim, you're looking at the interests of others instead of your own interests. We're to actually put others first by looking to their interests. And by doing so, hopefully we'll have this attitude that becomes actions. And once again, this passage of Scripture is talking about Jesus as our example. Consider how Jesus did not look to his own interests, but to the interests of others. He took actions over and over and over and over again in his earthly ministry that proved he was putting others first. Jesus took time for the hurting. He took time for the disease. He took time for people like lepers that everybody else wanted just to stay away from. He took time for those that were demon-possessed. He took time for the afflicted. He took time for the rejected. Jesus would even take time when a funeral procession is going by and people are mourning to just ruin a good funeral procession by raising the person to life. He he was intimately involved in, in people's lives. Christ took interest in people's lives, and he took our interest as he went to the cross for our sins. I think Andrew Murray is the one that said this, but he said the the humble person is not one who thinks meanly of himself, in other words, badly, or or puts yourself down, but the humble person is a person that simply does not think of himself at all. That's kind of the attitude of Christ. Because he was thinking about us, and that's the way we need to be. If we're going to be the kind of servant God wants us to be, we need to think of others in that way. I'm not sure who said this. It wasn't Andrew Murray, but somebody said this. Humility is a characteristic that when you think you have it, you have lost it. You get that, the logic of it? (laughs) Oh, let me tell you how humble I am. And the minute you think that, guess what? You lost your humility. It went out the door the moment you start thinking, oh, look how humble I am. As Christians, we're to turn our eyes away from ourselves the way Jesus did and look upon the lives of others and meet the needs of others. That's the kind of servant he calls us to. So if we're going to have that type of humility, and if we're going to try and have that type of unity working together, serving together, that means also this, taking the form of Christ ought to also occur through ministry, through ministry. We're going to look at verse 5 through 8. In general, I think he's talking about just serving ministry in general in verse 5 through 7. Paul writes these words, Have this mind, talking about the mind of Christ, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Now notice this and, and hold on to this thought, which is yours. doesn't say you might have it. It says if you're a believer, it is yours which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, now before we jump into the the rest of that, I want to call you back to what I said for you to think about for a minute. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Some people, I think, get this attitude. Well, I... Pastor, I know I'm supposed to serve others, but I just have a hard time doing that because I see the way other people are, and maybe they're not like me, and I think it would be demeaning for me to serve somebody else. So I, I, I just can't serve somebody else. I just don't have the capacity. Well, I'm sorry, but if you're a Christian, you do have that capacity because you've been given the mind of Christ. 
And since you've been given the mind of Christ in a fixed position, since you've been given the, the mind means you've been given the attitude of Christ, that means you can serve others. Well, what does that look like to have the mind of Christ and, and serve others? Guys, I want you to get the, the next three little sub points. If you don't get anything else all day, I want you to get these three things. Here's what it looks like for us to take on the mind of Christ so we can serve others. First of all, you have to turn loose of your own rights. You have to turn loose of your own rights. Here talking about Jesus said, who, though he was in the form of God, and the word form means he had this outward expression of his inward nature. What, what he's saying there is this in the Greek. It's saying he is God. He was God. He, he never stopped being God. He took on the form of man, so he became the God man. But, but he never stopped being God. By very nature, he was God. But even though by very nature he was God, there's a Greek word there that we use for our English word morph. Instead, he winds up adjusting himself and he doesn't try and cling to his deity. He didn't think equality with God was something for him to try and hold on to or to seize or to take for himself. See, Jesus didn't need to have that mentality that he was seized and taken for himself because he was by nature God. You don't see a contrast in, in, in the attitude of Jesus and the attitude of Satan? Satan wasn't God, but Satan said in his heart, I'm going to sit on the throne. I, I'm going to be the one that's, that's God. I'm going to take God's place. Because if we're really going to have the attitude where we can serve people, we have to do like Jesus. We have to turn loose of our own rights. Even though Jesus is, in fact, God in the flesh, Jesus didn't strive to hold on to his equality with God. And while he was here in his earthly ministry, he was willing to become human flesh and experience some things he had never experienced before. He had never experienced thirst before. He had never experienced hunger before. He had never experienced rejection before. He had never experienced being tired before. He had never experienced pain before. He, he was willing to turn loose of some of those rights that he experienced all the time in heaven in order to come here and fully serve us by ultimately going to the cross. So the way for us to apply that is, is this. If you really want to have the mindset to serve other people, you need to turn loose of what you think your rights are. Now think about this as believers. I know it's hard for us to do, but being a Christian and serving others is not about your rights. It's not really about the rights of the other person. It's about his rights, and it's about his authority. And we need to be willing to turn loose of our own rights if we're really going to serve others. Second thing you need to do is this. You need to empty yourself of yourself. You ever met somebody before and you thought to yourself, that person's full of themselves? Yeah? You ever? Look what I said about Jesus in the first part of verse 7. But made himself nothing. That, that phrase in the Greek can also be translated to make empty. Even though Jesus was God in the flesh, he chose to empty himself of some of his rights as deity in order to fully serve mankind by dying on the cross. He emptied himself of some of the comforts of heaven. He emptied himself by coming into this world that has suffering and pain and heartbreak and disappointment. 
Jesus, who had never, ever experienced temptation, came into this flesh, in human flesh. The Bible says he's tempted in every way like we are. That's what the Bible teaches. He came into this world and experienced temptation. He was willing to empty himself of himself. And guys, the way for us to apply that to ourselves is simply this. Empty yourself of who you think you are. Empty yourself of any rights, authority, selfish motives, and by so emptying yourself, here's what you're doing. You're positioning yourself to serve somebody else. You know what causes most conflicts, not just in church, but just between people? It's people saying, I want my way. This group in a church, I want my way. This group in a church, I want my way. You know, these are fractions and splits and splinters all across the Christian church. That's what happens in families sometimes. I want my way. The husband, I have to have my way. The wife, I have to have my way. When if we're Christians, we ought to have the mindset of Christ, which means we're thinking more of others than we're thinking of ourselves. (laughs) It means we're making a decision up front, guys, that we're going to empty ourselves of ourselves so we can serve others. Third thing we have to do, first of all, you need to turn loose of your own rights. Second thing, you need to empty yourself of yourself. The third main thing I want you to get this morning is this, is to take on the form of a servant. Second part of verse 7 says, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Now, remember what I said a moment ago. He never gave up being God. He's the God man. Just as much God as he was man. Just as much man as he was God come into this world to be our savior but he took on the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of of men that equipped him to serve mankind in a way that we couldn't be served by the death of animals and sacrifices jesus came into this world to be our ultimate sacrifice hey have you ever noticed the majority of the time in the bible Jesus is always the one serving others instead of somebody else serving him. So much so, I I mean, I don't know. I've not ever tried to mathematically figure out the precision uh, or the percentage, but I would say maybe 99.999% of the time, Jesus is the one serving others. There were some instances like when Mary came in and uh, anointed his head and washed his feet with her hair and uh, and things like that. But guys, 99.9% of the time, you have Jesus serving others. He served fishermen who were considered a, a low type of position and job in that culture. He served harlots who made their living in prostitution. He served the sick, the bereaved, and the sorrowing. You want a picture of Jesus being willing to serve in the upper room when he was meeting there with the disciples in the upper room? In that culture, because you're walking around on dusty streets in that culture, then when you gather together like that before a meal, someone's supposed to come through and wash your, your feet. So they're sitting there, and no one is moving. You think one of the disciples, having seen everything that Jesus had done and who they were starting to think that he was, you would think one of them would have thought, well, I guess I need to be a servant and wash Jesus' feet and everybody else's feet. Nobody moved until Jesus himself did it. And he went and got the water, and he came through and washed each person's feet. 
That's a picture of the kind of servant that, that Jesus was. And we're told here we're to take on the form of a servant. Jesus took on the form of a servant, and that's what he calls us to. We're to adjust our lives in such a way that we become a servant. He who is very God by his nature. The same word here for form is used talking about him being God. The same word for form is used here talking about him being a servant. In other words, the implication of that is this, God. Jesus didn't just appear to be a servant. He was a servant. He didn't just want others to think he was a servant. He actually became a servant. He, he was willing to actually serve others. In fact, the word that's used for servant, referring to Christ, is a word that Carl stood up a few weeks ago, and I've talked about before in the past too. He uses the word God led Paul to use the word doulos, servant. A doulos servant is a slave that didn't have to be a servant. It's a slave that could have gone free. But even though he had served his amount of time and he could have gone free, he loves his master so much, he decides that he wants to be his servant for the rest of his life. And he would go and talk to the high priest, and the priest would take him to the door of the tabernacle of the temple, depending on what time frame we're in. And they would put the ear of that servant up against the door, and they would take an awl and cut a hole in his ear. And that way, everyone that saw him could see him and know, oh, you, you decided to be a, a servant for the rest of your life. And you may be wondering how in the world that applies to Jesus. And as I was studying it this week, and I saw, man, it uses the word doulos for Christ. Here's what I thought of. Jesus had a hole here. And Jesus had a hole here. And Jesus had holes in both of his feet. And he is eternally marked for everyone to see for all time that he took on the role of a servant, to be our servant, to die on the cross for our sins. And if God in the flesh is willing to serve us in that way, guys, I'm just suggesting today that we ought to, we ought to serve also and be that type of obedient servant. Talks about a serving ministry, but a true serving ministry is also a sacrificial ministry. In other words, it costs something. Philippians 2 verse 8 says this, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Even though he was God in the flesh, he chose to humble himself to the point of being obedient to the Father's will, to the point of death going to the cross, suffering and dying for our sins on a cross that represents capital punishment. And anyone that died on a cross would consider to be cursed in that day and time. That's what Christ did for us. That's what this coming weekend is about. That's what we celebrate, that Jesus died on Friday for our sins, and he took his life back up on that Sunday. That's how he paid everything necessary for us to have eternal life. If we're going to really be servants, we need to also have sacrificial ministry. Serving God and serving others ought to cost us something. Dr. J.H. Jowett said this, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. Someone else said, if there's to be any blessing, there must be some bleeding. And that's what Jesus did for us. It cost him to serve us. 
He died a sacrificial death in our place. He took human form so he could be the perfect sacrifice for human sin. He humbled himself greatly to do this for us. He became a curse for us. Consider for a minute the servant role of Christ. What we have is this, guys. We have the king of kings leaving heaven and coming to earth as a servant. We have the king of kings put in our interest above his own. We have the king of all glory suffering in our place on the cross, taking our punishment, our hell, paying for our sins as he suffered on the cross. We have the king of all glory being ridiculed and rejected and abused and nailed to the cross in great humility. But the point is simply this. If the king of all glory would so be a servant to us, should we who say we follow him not also humble ourselves and take on the form of servants? Also, servanthood that cost us. You don't have to die on a cross, but it's going to cost you your time. Serving others can be messy sometimes. <laughs> but Jesus is willing to deal with our mess. We need to be willing to serve other people in the same way. We also need to be willing to do this, guys, as we're talking about taking on the form of Christ. And this last thought might be something you'll have a brain cramp with to begin with. But we need to take the form of Christ through glory, through glory. And you might be saying, well, I can understand the other stuff. That we need to take on the form of Christ, and by doing so, having the mind of Christ, the love of Christ, having unity. By practicing humility. So we can kind of preserve that unity and practice in humility so we can actually serve others and be involved in ministry, serving others. But when I brought this up, taking the form of Christ through glory, you might kind of thought, well, that don't sound right. Do you realize in the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed for us? After he prayed for his immediate disciples, he prayed for us, all those who would believe in him. He prayed that the Father would give us the glory that he had. That we would have the glory of Jesus the Son, ultimately one day in heaven. That means this, guys. The Bible teaches one day we're going to rule and reign with Jesus. (laughs) One day we're going to be glorified in heaven, not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done for us. So we can take the form of Christ eventually in glory. See, from what's said in verse 9 through 11, it says, therefore, in other words, based upon the humility of Jesus, based upon the ministry of Jesus, the sacrificial ministry of Jesus, Jesus being willing to be a servant, therefore God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From the perspective of Christ, the pathway to glory was being a servant. (laughs) Was ultimately serving us, going to the cross. And because he had that mindset, he would eventually be exalted. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, verse 26, let him who would be first be last. That's not just a concept for Jesus. He was last for us as he went to the cross and, and died on the cross for our sins. So I want you to notice three things in those verses, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11. Jesus humbled himself 
but the Father exalted him. Look at verse 9. Therefore, because of what Jesus did in his humility, died on the cross for our sins, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name. Through Jesus being that humble servant, through Jesus dying on the cross for our sins, through Jesus being the obedient servant, God has elevated the name of Jesus, the very character and authority of Jesus is what that implies in, in the Greek. He has elevated the name, the character, and the authority of Jesus above all. First Peter verse 5 and 6 says this, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. If you want to experience exaltation in your life, it will happen by you humbling yourself before God. That's what God the Son did. Second thing I want you to see is this. Jesus took the form of a servant, but the Father crowns him Lord. Verse 10, the first part of verse 11, so that at the name of Jesus, at the authority and the character of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The word every means just that. It means all knees someday are going to bend and bow. All knees, it says, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. There's coming a time that everything in existence is going to bow a knee and admit and fully agree that Jesus Christ is exactly who he said he is, that Jesus Christ is Lord. People that are still alive when he comes back will have to admit that. People that have already gone on in everything in heaven, the angels and everyone that's already in heaven will bend their knee and they'll say, he is Lord. You know what it also means? It said under the earth, I think that even means this, people that are in hell, where they rejected him, one day will be brought forth from hell, and they will bend a knee, and they'll agree fully that he's Lord, and then they'll be cast into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. One day, every knee's going to bend. I don't know who this person might be, but whoever in the history of the world is the greatest atheist that's ever lived, you know what they're going to do one day? I fully agree now that you're Lord. Every tongue, every individual tongue, every language is what the word means, is going to confess that he's Lord. That's going to happen sometime in the future. The question I want to ask you today is this. And this is a serious question for you. Now or later? Now or later? And here's why. If you bend your knee and you admit he's Lord and you trust in him as your Savior now, there's benefit to that. Because by trusting in the finished work of Christ and admitting he's Lord means that you're forgiven of your sins, you're brought into the family of God, You'll go to heaven one day. But if you wait till later, and I want to make this clear, in case someone's here with, with an obstinate mind right now thinking, I'm never going to do that, I promise you, you will. There's coming a time that everyone will bend their knee and everyone will confess, fully acknowledge that Jesus is Lord. The problem is, if you wait till later, there's no personal benefit in it for you. Because if you wait till later, it's going to be too late. <laughs> you're not doing it by faith, you're doing it by force. Because of his ultimate all authority. So the question is now or later. 
One third thing and one last thing I want you to see. Jesus owned himself, the Father exalted him. Jesus took the form of a servant, the Father crowns him Lord. But I want you to know that Jesus glorified the Father through all that he did. The last part of verse 11 said, to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, and heaven on earth and on the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The point's simply this. Everything that Jesus ever did glorified the Father. And ultimately one day when everyone has to agree and say he is Lord, that's also going to glorify the Father. That means that there's everything that Christ did was to make it very apparent in a wide application, that's what the word means in the Greek, that, that God is who he says he is, that God has glory. It means that all will think or esteem God as being glorious. The goal of Jesus was to glorify the Father. And guys, I simply think if we're Christ followers, that ought to be our goal. The goal of every Christian should be to glorify God the Father. And think about what we've talked about this morning. If you and I would practice unity, by practicing unity, we can bring glory to God. If you and I would practice humility, by practicing humility, we can bring glory to God. If you and I would practice obedience in ministry that sacrificially serves God and others, that will bring glory to God. The point is not bringing glory to ourselves. It's not about bringing glory or recognition of day three church. If you think all of this is about day three church, we ought to close the door and never come back. It's nothing about me. If you think somehow this is about me, then I need to walk off of this stage and never walk back on this stage. Because it all ought to be about the glory of God the Father. And if you and I will take on the form of Christ, guess what? It might blow your mind, but you and I can glorify God. Jesus said this in Matthew 20, verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come for others to serve him. He came to serve others. And ultimately to give his life a ransom to die for us. If he would do that, should we not, should we not serve others, take his form and serve others? There's a missionary that was at a religious festival years ago in Brazil. And he was walking from booth to booth because it was a religious festival. They had all kinds of religions represented. And he looked across the way and he saw one booth said this, cheap crosses. And he thought to himself, that's the kind of crosses most Christians want. One that's cheap and easy. But he said, my Savior did not have a cheap cross and did not have an easy cross. So why should I have one? I read a story this past week from the Civil War, and I think it'll give us a picture of the mindset we ought to have to be servants. It was during the Civil War, and there was this general that had been appointed over part of the army, not all the army, but part of the northern troops by Abraham Lincoln. His name was General George B. McKellian. 
He was put in charge of the army of the Potomac. Maybe not because he deserved it necessarily, but public opinion was on his side. <laughs> he, he fancied himself as a great military leader, and he enjoyed hearing other people call him a young Napoleon. But he didn't win battles like a young Napoleon. And he wasn't leading the army like a young Napoleon. He just had a status, a position. And he wasn't fulfilling everything that Abraham Lincoln had hoped he would do. So Abraham Lincoln did this. He thought, well, maybe I'll give him a little bit more responsibility that will provoke him to do more. So he made him the general of all the troops, kind of like the commander in general over the northern armies. But it didn't change a thing. <laughs> he still didn't engage. He still wasn't winning the battles. He, he still wasn't leading in a way that Abraham Lincoln had hoped. So one night, and this is in a different day and time than today, but one night, Abraham Lincoln and two of his staff went to the general's house to pay him a visit, and they were going to talk to him about the way things were going. When they got to the general's house, they found out that he was going to a wedding party. So they sat down outside and waited. They weren't even invited into the house. So they sat down outside and waited. After a long wait, the general showed up, and he walks by the president of the United States and two of his staff without saying a word to them, he goes in his house. So after a few minutes, one of the staff of Abraham Lincoln goes in to remind the general that the president was there and wanted to talk to him. And then after another little bit of a wait, a servant came and said, the general has gone to bed. <laughs> now, and I read that, I thought, man, the audacity of that. Let's bring the guy out and, and, and quarter him or something, you know? On the way, walking back to his house, along with his two staff, Abraham Lincoln said this, instead of him being mad and upset, he said, this is no time to be making points of etiquette and personal dignity. And then the president went on and explained I would hold General McKellian's horse if he would only bring us success. You want know, a picture of the type of man and leader that Abraham Lincoln was? How would most modern-day presidents react to someone shunning them, not even speaking to them, going to bed, and not even paying attention that they're outside your house wanting to talk to you? But instead, in humility... He said, I would hold his horse if that would just help us win the battle. Now, guys, that's the mindset we ought to have because there's a battle out here between good and evil, and we're supposed to be serving Christ and serving others. And sometimes it, people may not treat us the right way, and sometimes we may get upset the way people respond to us and everything, but if we'll have that mind of Christ and the humility of Christ and everything, here, here's the deal. <laughs> It's not about how someone treats me. It's about the mission. It's about the gospel. It's about the mission. So no matter how someone treats me, I'm going to practice the mind of Christ in humility in order that we can have unity, humility, ministry, and ultimately one day glory. Don't worry about your glory now. God will give it to you one day if you'll be the servant He wants you to be. Let's pray.
Father, forgive us when we do make our lives all about us. Forgive us in churches sometimes when we make our preferences about us. Instead of making our focus the gospel and your will. Father, I pray you always guard unity here at this church, in all churches. And Father, in order for us to have a unity that's preserved, we have to practice humility toward each other. We have to be willing to have the mind of Christ and, and, and see others more important than ourselves. Father, help us to do ministry together, the kind of ministry to where no matter who we think we are, we empty ourselves of that and we just serve you and serve others. Father, help us to keep our eye focused on the ultimate glory one day and not worry about receiving glory here and now. Father, also I pray if there's anyone in this place that does not know Christ the Savior, God, I pray you by your Holy Spirit will ask them the question now or later. Help them to understand right now is the only guaranteed time they have. Right now in this moment, they have an opportunity and a time to trust Christ as Savior. Help them to recognize one day, whether they like it or not, one day they will be in their knee and they will confess with their lips that Jesus Christ is Lord to your glory. But Father, instead of them waiting until that time, I pray right now you give them the faith they need to trust in Jesus right here, right now, today. Before it's eternally too late. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please stand if God is dealing with you about the now or the later. You're not sure you've trusted Christ as your Savior. Why not take care of it today? You, you don't have any guaranteed time beyond right now. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior, why not trust Him now? If you're wrestling with being a servant, read back through, pray over the things we talked about today. If Jesus would be that kind of servant for us, who are we not to serve others? God speaks to you in some way you need to come and pray. I'm here. Daryl's here. If we need to talk to you in some way, we'd be glad to even stay behind after the service. Just listen to God and He leads you to respond in some way. We invite you to come. Are you in need of greater peace in your life? It is possible and it starts with being at peace with God. Just pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I realize I need you and your forgiveness. I invite you to be the boss of my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Make me the kind of person you want me to be. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, we'd love to talk to you. We're here to pray with you, to love you, and offer support. Please contact us at day3church.com. We care about you, and we want to connect with you. Until next time, this is Pastor John reminding you that God is greater than your circumstances and His mercies are new every morning. It's time to experience a new day in your life.